purport. According to the Vedic system, a fire sacrifice is held in order to offer oblations of ghee, grains, fruits, flowers, and so on, so that Lord Vishnu may eat and be satisfied. The Lord says in Bhagavad Gita 9.26, everyone, very, very loudly, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam. Very good, very good. A little soft on the third line. You came through. If one offers me with love and devotion a leaf, a flower, fruit or water, I will accept it. Therefore, all those items may be offered in the sacrificial fire and Lord Vishnu will be satisfied. Similarly, Brahmana Bhojan. Hooray. Feeding of the Brahmins is also recommended. For when the Brahmanas eat sumptuous remnants of food after yagya, this is another way that Lord Vishnu himself eats. Aren't we grateful? Those of you that have your second initiation. This is how Lord Vishnu eats through your face. (laughs) Therefore, the Vedic principles recommend that in every festival or ceremony one offer oblations to the fire and give sumptuous food for the Brahmins to eat. By such activities, a householder may be elevated to the heavenly planets and similar places in the higher planetary systems. The all-merciful Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. This is a very interesting verse. This is a very interesting verse. And I'm surprised if the uh, protagonists of female Diksha Gurus in ISKCON have not already seized upon this verse. Because here in this verse, there was no purport to eight. So I must be very careful in not giving a purport to it. But nevertheless, <laughs> I feel I must say something. Here is who? Who's saying? Who's speaking? Kashapa speaking to? Diti or Aditi? Adi. Are you sure? You're very sure. You're very sure. Okay. Speaking to Aditi. And he's saying her, I was away. Therefore, why didn't you do what? Offering oblations of ghee into the sacred fire. But women aren't allowed to do fire yagyas. Well, excuse me. According to verse number 8 in the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, which I think is a scripture of the uh, Krishna consciousness movement, it appears that a man can ask his wife to do the oblations of ghee into the fire. Hmm, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do here? This is a very difficult situation. What should we do? Should we extract another meaning from that? What he really meant was, (laughs) no, this is what he meant. I was away, why did you not do it? Um, Because this was the practice. Husband is away, wife does the practice. Now, when we do a fire yagya, it's for a special occasion. We don't do fire yagyas every day. But in Vedic culture, you do the fire Every day, every single day, you do the fire um, because that's the way you please uh, Lord Vishnu. So every morning, it is said that if you came upon a Brahmin house early in the morning, you would hear the word one word, Swaha. Yeah, all over. If you go just down a little way from the Krishna Balaram temple, there's a traditional Gurukula. Well, there was, maybe it's now, the land has now been sold as a hotel or something. But there was a traditional Gurukula about 100 yards, 150 yards down from Krishna Balaram Temple. And every morning, uh, the boys would be trained in the traditional uh, science and art of performing Fayyagas. At our uh, Mayapur center, we also have uh, traditional Fayyagas going on uh, every day. Now, uh, there's two things when you usually talk to um, devotees about fayyagyas um, and they will say in the same breath they will say but that's not the way 
of satisfying the Lord in the Kali Yuga. But that's not what you should do in Kali Yuga. Um, however, it is what you should do in Kali Yuga, but it is not the process of achieving perfection in Kali Yuga. And there's a difference. What you're doing by doing fire yoga is, is preserving something which has been with us for a very long time. Deity worship is not the process for going back to Godhead. But we do it. Why do we do it? Because it's an anger of satisfying the Lord. So to perform fire yogis and to perform deity worship uh, uh, is um, very important. And so is yoga, to engage in contemplative practice. Of course, japa is also uh, yoga. So we do this. Um, so all these angas are there. But one will gain prominence over the others according to how the yugas progress and how people's qualifications um, progress. Um, so here is uh, uh, Kashyap Muni, and he's very much aware of, um, you know, timing. And um, he's asking his wife, why didn't you do it? Because the wife, <clears throat> I just, at the weekend, I just gave a, a marriage marriage uh, seminar and um, it's quite surprising actually Um, when I was a child you had to have something called a dog license and you had to prove that you could you know look after a dog before they would give you one actually when I was a boy you used to have to have a radio license as well just to have a radio in your house you had to pay a fee so if you wanted to go fishing you had to have a fishing license you know you had to pay for these things if you wanted to drive a, uh, a three-wheeler vehicle or a motorbike, you had to go for a test and you had to pay. Driving license, you had to go through a very long test. How many, you, you know how to drive. How many, le- how many lessons did you have before you learned how to drive? Oh, chief of the brahmacharis. Fifteen. I think that deserves a round of applause. Fantastic. Fifteen. Fifteen, maybe. I will hold my hand up and make a mass confession. Well, not a confession, and not a mass confession. But I took 24 lessons in order to learn how to drive. Um, Now, those 24 lessons, um, I was building my skills for something that hopefully would last um, a lifetime. Now, on the way to Gatwick Airport, just um, a day before yesterday, I was dropping my <clears throat> Mem- different members of my family off to Gatwick so they could go to a, there's a yoga, big yoga conference in Germany. So they flew over there for that to do various things. And, um, uh, out of the rear, rear window, I saw a blue light. And I thought, oh, the police have seen somebody that deserves to be stopped. Ha! And I carried on driving. (laughs) Little did I know, (laughs) when they pulled in front of me and slowed me down, that it was me. And all it was, was just that, you know, I had five light bulbs missing. (laughs) Total of five light bulbs missing. That's because um, even though you've taken your driving test, things need to be maintained. So when you make a, a vow to do something, you have to have training. You have to pay the price, uh, and it goes for some time. And if it goes for some time, you may need regular updates, you see. It's not just because you once knew how to do something a long time ago that you're keeping it maintained. Everybody knows that maintenance is very much more difficult than starting something. Easy to learn how to drive. Now the government is even considering that... um, you won't be allowed to drive in this country without someone sitting next to you until you are 19. Till you're 19. And even then, you won't be allowed to drive after 10 o'clock at night. Because, although uh, it's a very, lo- very small percentage of people are young drivers, but all, uh, what is it? 25% or 30% of the accidents are caused within that range. And what it means is if you have a bunch of crazy young people driving a car just after they've been trained, smashing into things, like my daughter did. My daughter was, she'd passed the test for about a year 
and she drove into, she wasn't quite satisfied drive, avoiding a rabbit, because of course, ahimsa. <laughs> she, so she didn't kill the rabbit, but she did kill the telegraph pole. <laughs> the junction, the telephone junction box, and completely wrote off my car. So I'm a firm believer that <laughs> young people should not be let loose on the road until they've gone through a few, you know, extra tests. So we're very, very careful when we let people out on the road. But when they get married, where's the, where's the course of instruction? Where is the, um, the regular updates? Where is the price that you pay? Okay, the price is worked in there. So it is very, um, it's very interesting that for one of the most important things that people ever do in their life to uh, drive along the road of life, right, in tandem with another human being, there's no training course. People haven't got a clue. You see, they haven't got a clue. And so the, the, the divorce rate keeps going up. Now, of course, a lot of you are brahmacharis and you don't really worry about the divorce rate going up because ah, it's Kali Yuga. But the point is, it is causing problems for all of us. Just as the uh, car smashing statistics have an effect on everybody's insurance money. Everybody pays. And another thing that is being caused now is, <laughs> have you heard of crash for cash? Crash for cash? Where someone deliberately uh, causes an accident Okay, then speeds off. You don't see that person again, but the person that you banged into um, is the accomplice of the person that slowed down too abruptly. And uh, of course, then there's uh, claims for whiplash and um, you know claims for covering the insurance on your car, his car, and it has added fifty pounds to every single man, woman, and idiot in this country who drives a car. 50 pounds. So that means it adds money to every single person sitting here who drives a car. You pay 50 pounds more because either stupid people are having crashes or criminals are deliberately having crashes and claiming the insurance. Now there's a whole fraud squad who are you know, dedicated to these crash for cash criminals. And they operate in gangs. Okay. Anyway, I just thought I'd tell you that because that's a very important point that I'm drawing from this Bhagavatam verse. <laughs> the point is, people need training. They need preparation. They need supervision. They need to be free of criminal intent. And then they need regular updates. Now, if you do that with driving, we'd all live in a safer world. If you did that with marriage... We'd all have happier children. We'd have happier grandchildren. And, you know, a few less buildings might not go up in flames because we might have a few less angry kids without dads out on the street setting fire to dustbins. Everything affects everything else. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything affects everything. And it affects us too. When we had the worst driving record in the country, there was a special organization that came here in the theater room and took all the brahmacharis. Yes, I'm looking at you, brahmacharis. They brought all the brahmacharis because we had the worst driving record in the entire country. And the guy started off his presentation by saying, congratulations, lads. You have the worst driving record in the entire country. There's more insurance claims being processed from you guys here at Bhaktivedan, Bhaktiva, Bhaktiva, the manor. And of course, the brahmacharis laughed, as you do, sort of a more of a nervous giggle. And then the man got really angry. He said, all right, if you think that's, and he swore, he said, if you think that's funny, let me show you this. And he switched on a film. And the film showed all the bits that you don't see when there's a crash on the motorway, on small roads, and it was half an hour of terrible, terrible victims of um, road traffic accidents. 
smashed bodies, bleeding bodies, people writhing in agony, calling out for their mother. And he showed us this in, in the theater. And the devotees were just, oh. He said, so now you're going to laugh about your driving skills? He said, I don't think so. And then he started launching into how we should be more careful when we were driving. So he talked about getting enough sleep. He talked about not being in such a panic to get somewhere that you forget how careful you have to be. Driving with consideration, maintaining the vehicle. When someone, <laughs> when we, when we had an incident here in the 1974 or something like that, uh, one, one devotee died in a, in a smash. His, uh, his stomach was completely ripped open by uh, a crash in a, in a vehicle. And, uh, then something else happened again and, and, you know, Prabhupada, um, he, he said something about it to the leaders and, um, this would happen with great regularity. In fact, it, it is the most, uh, can we say it's the most popular way for devotees in our movement to die. Normally during what we call a marathon. Or coming back from an extended festival. Where they got up early to go to the festival and the festival went on late. Last year we lost nine devotees. These are nine devotees that were just initiated. They had their whole life ahead of them. Somewhere in Russia, then there was a whole carload in the Middle East, then there was another three in South America. And we can't afford that. We can't actually afford that because these were all Sankatan devotees. Now, apart from the fact that they were Sankatan devotees, and I'm saying that just because I'm looking at you guys, the point is that they were young people who had their lives ahead of them. So we have this kind of craziness that descends on us. It's like a red mist descends on all the devotees when you mention two things, book distribution and Christmas. <laughs> and so off they go, and they're zooming. Prabhupada has already told us. He's already told us. Krishna gets out of your vehicle when you're going more than 60 miles an hour. You don't need, really, to go more than 60. You just need to plan your life ahead of you so that you get to where you're going at the right time. Get up earlier. You already get up at half past two. <laughs> get up at two o'clock. Just start driving half an hour earlier. So the point is, I, I'm, I'm working through a road safety advertisement and a health and safety advertisement because I feel, you know, that I, I don't know which of you is going to be the one that gets in a smash next. And even if you don't die in a smash, you're severely um, hurt you know, for the next few years. So you have to be extremely careful. Please, please. Marathon is coming up. Hare Krishna. Um, so for everything that we do, there is a period of training. So for marriage, there should also be a period of training. And it was it was quite obvious that when I, I gave this course, nobody had been trained. Nobody had been trained. But I shouldn't have been surprised because every time I do the course, I'm never surprised by the, the, the lack of training. People don't know what it is to be married. They don't know what it means. And one of the things they don't know is that when you are joined together, when a husband and wife is joined together, it's not just a relationship between two individuals. This is a Western imposition on Vedic culture. The, the whole notion of Western culture is individualism, is the priority existence for every person. Whereas the further east you go and you ask people their identity, they will say, um, I'm a member of this uh, family or I'm a member of this club or I'm a member of this community. My nephew um, uh, teaches English and he, but he lives in uh, Japan. Just like our Giri Bharadhari, Smarahari's brother. He was, for many years, he was teaching English in Japan. It's a very good thing. People want to learn English. And again, there's a course. There's a course that you go on. <laughs> now, sometimes when these naughty English teachers are abroad and they get really bored, they teach the whole class something entirely inappropriate. But anyway, not my nephew. He teaches them good English. Uh, people want to learn English. 
And uh, in Japan, he says everybody does things according to a group. You're in a you're in a club or a group or a tribe or a clan. You're the, there's no notion of hyper individualism. Hyper individualism is how Western Europe and America has been described. Everything is for the individual. That's what ha- that's what happens when you get selfish. Uh, uh, selfishness runs rampant. You get this hyper individualism in which it's my rights, okay, and that is placed in a position above my responsibilities. And the point is, my responsibilities is how you get rights, but people often don't understand that. You know, I'm a member of ISKCON and it's my right. It's my right to have this. You should, the GBC should be, the, the temple president should be, the Sangatan leader should be given. Excuse me. Do you understand where you are? You're a voluntary member of a missionary organization. That, on a corporate level, has manifest the guru's ashram all over the world. You don't get to tell anybody what your rights are. You get to, told, you get to be told what to do. And you get to be grateful for being told what to do. Because that's what happens in the Guru's ashram. And a lot of people don't know that. They bring in this hyper-individualism hyper into ISKCON and they think, okay, now I'm going to tell everybody how to do things. <laughs> Sorry. You get told what to do. And certainly if the spiritual master calls you to eat, you eat. Well, it's my right. It's my right. I live here at Back to Vinatomai. It's my right to have three meals a day. No, it's not. It's your responsibility to do the cleaning and the cooking and to do anything that the guru or his representative asks you to do. That's it. And if you get to eat along the way, that's very good. Don't forget, Bhaktivedanta Man is an ashram. It's not a corporation. Okay? I just thought I'd throw that in there. So then um, this individuality, such as you have it, is surrendered at the point of Marriage. It is surrendered at the point of marriage. You're no longer an I. You become a we. This is the point. And so, um, uh, the wife is sometimes known as Ardangini. Ardangini. The other half of the husband. So here, Kashyap Muni, because he doesn't mean that he, he, he mistreats her, because why would you mistreat the other half of your body? Okay? Why would your right hand slap your left hand why would your the, the right side of your stomach starve the left side of your stomach no you it's one whole entity so the, in verse 8 he's saying i was away so why didn't you do the fire yagya the daily fire yagya that has to happen in all brahmin homes you see so this this fire yagya happens every single day you see the way we do things is not quite I mean, you know, a person goes on the altar and we have a, an image of the Lord, uh, a consecrated image of the Lord. The Lord is invited into the image and we, we, we worship and then we have a picture of all the different gurus. But this is a modern thing. This is a modern thing to have um, Kodak Kodak image of your guru. This is something we've gotten into in ISKCON. We have to have 30 pictures of different gurus uh, on the, and each time you have to do your puja, you have to take the image of your guru. The, this is if Mr. Kodak had not invented <laughs> film, or Mr. Lumiere had not invented photography, you'd still be doing it the traditional way. So the traditional way of serving the deity through the guru is you just say the name of the guru, and immediately the image of the guru comes into your mind. You see, that's the point. I say the name of my guru, my the the Taniyan, or what we call the you know the pranam mantra. It's not a pranam mantra; it's a Taniyan. So you say that, and then immediately, image of the guru. Why? Because you love the guru, and therefore you can see his face before you. You see. So Prabhupada says the ordinary man he sees the world through his eyes, the dog sees the world through his nose, and the Brahmin sees the world through his ears. So everything, for a Brahmin, everything is mantra. 
when a Brahmin, when a Brahmin, before a Brahmin gets up in the morning, we used to do it in the ashram here, it was according to Hari Bhakti Vilas, you know, you remember this one? Jayati Jana Nivasu Devaki Janmavado Yadu Variparashat Svair Dor Bira Syanna Dharmam Stira Charavarajanasu Smita Shrimukena Brajapurivaritanam Bhardayan Kamadevam and then you'd get out of your sleeping bag. <laughs> we used to do that. You remember? Yeah, you remember? We don't do it anymore. Well, that was, that was the. So there's a mantra. You get out of your sleeping. You put your foot on the floor. There's a mantra. You run down the corridor to the cold shower. <clears throat> cold shower. There's a mantra. The shower hits you. There's a, there's a mantra. For everything, there's a mantra. So you're mantra, 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 all the way up. And it is said from half past two in the morning till half past two in the afternoon, the Brahmin will be chanting mantras. Only then, only when all these mantras have come out of his face, will he then put something into his face. So he eats at half past two. And all through, he's either, he's doing mantras either for himself or for his family or for his students, his disciples, or for the world. From 2.30 until 2.30. This is Brahman. So part of the mantras that he would do is these uh, 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 mantras for a fire yagya. Now we, we employ a fire yagya as a something which makes, an, a, 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 you know, it sort of officializes something. It ceremonializes something. Okay? We're going to do something. Oh, we're going to do a yagya. Okay, oh, it's a yagya. We're going to do... But yagya is something that you would, you know, you would do every day. So, um, the ablations of ghee have to go into the fire. Therefore, every Brahmin needs access to ghee and sticks. Therefore, uh, the brahmachari is the person who goes out begging for ghee and goes out begging for sticks. That's why it's called Samit Pani. Samit. Samit is a very you know, it's a common name for brahmacharis. It means samit. Samit means uh, wood, wood sticks. That's why Krishna and Balaram were sent into the uh, not Krishna and Balaram, uh, Krishna and Sudama was sent into the forest to get sticks. And every guru, uh, pretty much the disciples' main job was to collect sticks. <laughs> and if you had a fire yagya going every day, you'd have to go a little bit further each day. That's why Krishna and Sudama. They were quite a way away because they, they had to they had to get sticks. It wasn't that a you know the Brahmins had people delivering truckloads of truckloads of logs. <laughs> so um, every day it had to be done, and in some places the fire yagya has been going for many many years. Either the fire yagya or the cooking fire, the domestic fire has been going because they wouldn't let the fires go out. Because if you're living in the middle of a forest. As, a, as every good guru should, <laughs> then, uh, you know, it, and the fire goes out, you're stuck. So they would keep the fire going. So uh, 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 we, we hear of uh, the rishis, in the, when the Bhagavatam was spoken, the chain of sacrificial fires. If you go to the uh, uh, Radha Raman temple, you will see that there's a fire burning there which has been burning for 500 years since Gopal Bhatta Goswami started. It's been burning there for 500 years, and it's even been incorporated into the tilak. They put a little mark of ash. There's fire. Because that that fire is the connection with the parampara. Because that is the fire that was started by the gurus, 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 and we take that and then. So um, here he's saying why you didn't put the into the fire. So he must have, it wasn't that he said, oh, I've been gone for some time, I realize because you're a woman, you can't do fire yagyas, therefore, um, you know, I can understand now that the fire's gone out, um, so no problem. That's not what it says in the verse. He was fully expecting his wife to continue the fire yagya while he was away, you see, to feed the fire. Um, I met a sannyasi, and he did a fire yagya every day as a householder, along with his wife. And since the day he got married to the day he took sannyas, he and his wife would sit down together and do a fire yagya in the morning before they ate. 
That was his vratam. And then, on the day before he, on the day before he took sannyas, on the day, Gurudas, where are you going? Where's the brahmacharis going? Did was it something I said wrong? How can you leave in the middle of a talk? Please, I beg you, stay for the end of my talk. Please stay for the full complement of time, because I've got yet to get to the pièce de résistance. The whole point. The whole point. I was, yes, I was talking about driving instructions. Yes, I'm talking about marriage. But don't think that this isn't important for you. I'm getting to the point. Huh? Your Gurudas. Who's this? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I can't see with my eyes, you see. Just some orange guy with glasses. <laughs> Actually, last night I had a dream about Gurudas. I told him during Guru Puja. I had a dream. He was leading Kirtan with a full symphony orchestra in the Albert Hall. <laughs> well, at least you're inside one of my dreams. Next time you get permission before you come into one of my dreams, okay? So, uh, where was I? Huh? Yes, so this, this man, the day before he took sannyas, he sat down and he performed the last fire yagya along with his wife. She then went home. He went to the river bank, shaved up, and um, took sannyas. And he just died just a few weeks ago in, in India, of course. Um, uh, the point here is that uh, ardangini means that uh, we're in this together. That's the vrata. We're in this together. So when we say kashapa, we also usually say kashapa anaditi. When people get married, we glorify the couples. Uh, when the knot is tied between husband and wife, or between bride and groom, making them husband and wife, we glorify the uh, the name of names of very famous couples, like Lord Shiva and Parvati, and uh, even Ravana gets a mention. Ravana and uh, Mandodri, because although Ravan was a pain in the neck, Mandodri was. Comp- Absolutely, completely devoted to him. There's no question. Even she saw his qualities, but she was still devoted to him. Because she's Ardangini, the other half. So therefore, we can understand that this is, uh, uh, what's happening here is that the wife is the, in this particular occasion, the wife is the Ritvik of the husband. Uh, Ritvik is a bona fide word. It doesn't mean somebody who, Stands around the Rathiatra with magazines. <laughs> Ritvik means uh, Ritu Ija. Ija is one of the five components of uh, uh, the Vaishnav life. Ija means worship, and Ritu means seasonal. Seasonal worship. It means when a particular ceremony is happening or a particular period of the year, you call in a Brahmin and you say to him, My dear Brahmin, Please do the Ritu Ija. And then the Brahmin becomes the Rituik. Rituik. So this Rituik, he will then do, on your asking, for a certain limited time only, he will do that puja. So here we have an, a, a case of <clears throat> a wife being asked by her husband to be his Rituik while he's geographically distant. So this was something that was done by uh, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur, as well. His disciples were preaching in Bombay and uh, they couldn't, you know, they, they had some people who needed to get initiated or they were preaching in Burma or they were preaching in London or Germany and he was prepared to ask them to be his his limbs. And that's perfectly, perfectly well established because everybody knows. You may preach long distance through your disciples but you can't do all the particular things so you ask your disciples to do it. Just like for a lot of initiation letters, Prabhupada would write to uh, the temple president, you perform the the fire sacrifice, you chant the mantra, you give him the beads, and you make sure that he comes to all the morning program and studies my books. That is your responsibility. So his beads are enclosed. Uh, Sometimes Prabhupada would say that. Beads are enclosed. Not often. Or his thread his thread is enclosed in this envelope and, you know. 
So this was um, this was the procedure. So here he's he's asking. Now um, it, it's very interesting that in uh, he's saying to his wife, you know, these ceremonies are very important. So he's instructing his wife, but he's saying there's a, a household that can achieve the desired goal of residing in the higher planets. So he's not really speaking to his wife. He's speaking to us and to all ordinary people through his wife because he's already on the higher planets. He doesn't have to perform fire yagya to get to... Uh, uh, but what we're going to see is that um, he, what, he, she's going to perform the payavrata. Payavrata is a particular uh, ritual enacted to attract the anugraha of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. And these are things, um, this particular vrat. A vrat means something that has a beginning and an end. Or if it's a maha vrat, it may not have an end, just like sannyas. Sannyas doesn't have an end. That's it. Once you take sannyas, you, that's it. That's for life. If you do break that vrat, it's very, very serious. If you break the vows of sannyas, the king has the permission to come and stamp your head with a, a red-hot iron um, brand. And the brand is uh, in the shape of a dog's paw because you've become vantasi, that which eats vomit. So that which eats vomit is a dog. So then he brands your forehead so that wherever you go, uh, you still keep your saffron. <laughs> you, you, once, you've ex- once you've made that vow, you can't, you know... You still keep that, but everywhere you go, people will say, oh, he wasn't successful. He got found out, and the king learned about it. So I guess if you saw a man, a, a mendicant dressed in saffron coming to your village, and he had like six dog paws all over his forehead, you'd know that he was particularly unsuccessful in his vows. <laughs> but that vow you had to keep until death. Why? Because if you don't keep the vow of sannyas until death... Then, what happens? It's very interesting, actually. There's a long sequence of births that you go through. Long sequence of births that the fallen sannyasi goes through. One of which involves becoming a thorn tree, uh, a worm in the stool of vulture, uh, for many, many lifetimes. It's very, yeah. Well, there's actually a compilation of rules of life for a Sanyasi. Ramanujacharya asked Yadava Prakash to compile it. It's called the Yati Dharma Samuchaya. And it's quite serious. Quite serious stuff. So, it's very serious to be a Brahmachari. It's a Vrat. It's very serious to be a Grihasta. It's a Vrat. It's very serious to be a Vanaprastha. And it's very, very serious to be a Sanyasi. Because these are different ways in which we act in order to please the Lord. So, um, in this one, Aditi is not becoming something else. She's not taking on a different ashram, but she's doing a vrata. A vrata means um, a period of extra special service for the Lord in which you expect some favor at the end of it. You know, you're doing it for something. It is um, something that a pure devotee doesn't wish to do, uh, we have the prayers of Prahlad Maharaj when he's offered a boon by Lord Nishingadev and he said, my Lord, I don't want to make business with you. I don't want to make business with you. And Prabhupada, in, that, in his commentary, Prabhupada said, this is the mood of the pure devotee. He doesn't want to, you know, he, he doesn't want to do patram pushpam phalam toyam and then ask for, you know, okay, now I need a benediction. You know, what am I going to get? So he does expect grace, but the grace that he expects is that he will become even more devoted to the Lord. So in this particular case, though, she was worried because all her sons had been uh, trampled on by Bali Maharaj, and so she wanted the Lord to come. And that Prabhupada said that is why the Prajapatis and the demigods are ultimately devotees of the Lord. They may be Sakama devotees rather than Akama devotees, but akama sarvakamova moksha kama udaridi. Whatever you want, you should approach Lord Vishnu. 
So uh, she's approaching Lord Vishnu and she will do this vrat. Now a vrat is something that in our life you may do several times. You may do a, a kartik vrat. You may do a Bhishma Panchaka vrat. You may do a Christmas marathon vrat. You may do a Brajmandal Prakrama vrat. And for each vrat, you will need a uh, uh, ashaya. Ashaya means the um, you need to make your mind up that that's what you're going to do. For each vrat, then you need a some dravya. Dravya means the um, elements. So to do a fire yagya, you need sticks, ghee, and you need something to start a fire. At least these things. You see? So to do a Christmas marathon, you need a book bag, presumably, or a trolley. <laughs> or if you want to do book distribution like they do it in Scotland, a forklift truck. <laughs> they do. They have a forklift truck to deliver the books into the uh, the warehouse of the man who's just bought a pallet, a pallet of Prabhupada's books. They do. At least they used to. Um, so you'll need a book bag and you'll need some books. One time I was on a marathon and we ran out of books. This is called lack of organization. So we used to stay in different, when it was very, very cold, we used to stay in different homes or we used to stay in church halls. So we were with one vicar and one vicar came to see us in the morning when we didn't have any books. And uh, I explained my predicament to him. I said, we have to go into the streets today. We're monks and we have to spread the word of God. And he said, oh, very good, very good. I said, but we don't have, we've run out of books. Um, he said, well, can I help? <laughs> I said, I said, well, you could help, actually. I said, if I wrote something, if, if I wrote a paragraph, could you make leaflets for us? And he said, yes. I, he said, I have a spirit duplicator inside the, um, inside the rectory. He said, uh, right, I will get it all ready. He said, you write what you want. I'll type it up and then I will, I will make the leaflets for you. <laughs> So then I typed up, you know, I typed up something, what I could remember. And you should, you should do this. You should be able to reconstruct the entire philosophy of Krishna consciousness if you were shipwrecked on a desert island. Could you reconstruct the entire movement for Krishna consciousness if you're on a desert island? And if you could, what would it look like? The Krishna consciousness movement according to Kanaya. The Krishna consciousness movement according to Pravin. The Krishna conscious movement according to Dhirabhakta. What would it look like? We would, would we construct the movement again in our own image? Or we would, would we construct it again in Prabhupada's image and form? It's very interesting. But we should be equipped. So anyway, I wasn't really equipped. So well, I wrote down something in biro on a piece of paper and gave it to him and he typed it up. And all day long we were, in those days we had the, you know, we had different things that we did and we would follow it up with. <laughs> and then we got more books distributed the other day. So dravya, very important. Either it's wood or it's uh, ghee or it's books, like that. Then you need a deshakala patra, you need a place to do it. So either it's in the Naimasharanya forest or it's in um, Northampton. Northampton becomes the Yagyashala. When I was young, sometimes we used to go out at five in the morning into the street and we would chant mantras around the shopping center, making a big square before anybody else got there. And we would dedicate the shopping center by mantra to our yagya for the day. Then we would go back, finish our rounds, have breakfast, have class. Then when we went out there and people came, they were coming into our yagyashala. They were coming into our space. So we, we dedicated the space. You do that when you, uh, when, when you take bath. You know, you take bath, you place your, your finger in the water and you ask all the holy waters to come. Before that, you can you draw a square. Sannyasi does this with his, his dunda. He makes a square on the surface of the river or the lake, asks the holy rivers to come there, and then he gets into that square. It's all mentally making a place for you to do the... Uh, yagya. But then you need a sankalpa. Sankalpa means a firm mental resolution. 
I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, definitely going to do this for a month. All right? Christmas marathon, okay? Very firm determination. I'm going to do this. I'm going to distribute Papa's books for a whole month during the Christmas marathon. I now dedicate myself. And you go in front of the deities and you say, please, fill me with your whatever it is that I need in order to do this. You see? Vishwamba, I'm talking about book distribution. Just, I'm working it into the class, just as you asked me. So then, you, Sankalpa means a firm mental resolution that is witnessed by others. And also, uh, then you need, what else do you need? You need to um, uh, have the uh, blessings. You need to have the blessings of the Lord. So in all the, and then of course you need a mantra. You need a mantra. For everything you need a mantra. So that is why every time you do a sankalpa, it is possible entirely possible that you get initiated because every time you are given a mantra that is diksha so if someone says now do the pyo you haven't you don't have a baby therefore um you know you need to do the pyavrata ceremony therefore i will give you a special mantra by which god will give you a child so then when the guru or the brahmin gives you that mantra that is diksha they're empowering you with a mantra. So it's quite common in Vedic culture that people have 30 or 40 initiations. We don't normally think of it in that way, but you get 30 or 40 initiations during your life. You have a long life, and each time you're doing different things. But of course, the one initiation um, that you would receive for the mantra that you chant throughout your life, you would tend to look at that as the most important initiation, obviously. So you get the mantra, then you have the sankalpa and the desha kalapatra, you have the dravya, you have the ashaya, and all these different components, then you can do the vrat. If any one of them is missing, then it becomes a little difficult to do. You want to do books, but the books are missing. Or, you know, you, you go to a town and then the, the gentlemen of the, 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 the constabulary, they come and say, you know, Sorry, we don't want you in this town. You have to go somewhere else. Then it's, oh, oh, I can't, you know, I tried, I tried, but it was two o'clock in the afternoon in my mind, my mind, I couldn't, you know, if we had to change towns, I couldn't do it. So if all these elements are missing. But in every yagya, the um, idea is to please the Lord. That's why the Lord says, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam. You do these things, you offer them to me, everything is an offering to me, and I will accept it. Ashnami, I will eat. Prabhupada was in a Krishna Balaram temple in Vrindavan. And he said, just see. And the temple was packed outside. He said, everybody is coming to see Krishna and Balaram. He said, so, how many people are going to the... And he mentioned the name of another organization that did not believe in deity worship. He said, how many people are going to their place? And some devotee had just been there, and he said, oh, there was four people there, Prabhupada. He said, just see. They do not believe, they do not believe in uh, uh, deity worship. They do not believe that Krishna is real. They do not believe that Krishna can eat. But we say, because Krishna says, Ashnami, I eat. We believe this. Then people are coming. Because we believe that Krishna is real. Krishna is coming before us. We feed him, etc. So this feeding through the mouth of the Brahmins, which we're all very joyful, uh, is called uh, Vipra Mukya Huta. Vipra Mukya Huta. You'll see in text number eight, and I will finish now. But this is a very interesting word here. Huta. Na Huta. He says, you haven't done the oblations. This word oblations, Huta. This um, came westwards it came westwards up until it reached um, Germany and it became the word uh, Huta. Huta, Huta. And then it later on became Gott and then it became the word God. Uh, etymologists have traced this word. And the word God means that to whom one must offer oblations that to whom one offers everything. So in Sanskrit, when you say huta, that's another way of saying that who is the uh, 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 recipient of oblations. So then the priest who does that is known as hotri, 
Hutai. So Vipra Mukya Hutai. Vipra means the Brahmin. Mukya means face. Vipra Mukya Hutai. Uh, making uh, the connection with the Huta through uh, God, through the mouth of the Brahmins. That's why many, many Hindu families like to feed the Brahmins. And that's why during the month of Shrad, they always want, they always come here asking our brahmacharis to come and they will feed them. But it is also said amongst Brahmins, Yajante Brahmana Ripu. Yajanta, Yajja means the sacrifice. Anta means the end. Brahmana, Brahmana, Ripu, enemy. At the end of the Yajya, the Brahmin becomes an enemy. Yajante Brahmana Ripu. So, I want you, I feed you, then don't bother coming again. I, I, I don't want you now. You see, this is not how Krishna wants you to serve the Brahmins. It's meant to be with love. Love means it doesn't just finish when I finish with, your, with you as my object. You see, it's not like the Brahmins are treated like the statues of Ganesh, at the end of Ganesh Chaturadasi. Uh, not that you take Ganesh, we worship him, and then we throw him in the sea. So I worship the Brahmins in the night. No, this is meant, we are meant for something uh, bigger and better than this. So all these things came to my mind with this verse. And I thank you very much for listening, as usual. So let us make our lives a, uh, an offering to the Lord and um, in this way go back to home back to Godhead back to home back to Godhead because this is the highest loka Kashapa is talking about if you do these if you do this sacrifice you will go to the loka well if you make your whole life a vrata your whole life a yagya then you can expect some big payoff However, if you expect a payoff, you may not get the payoff. The real payoff is where you even lose the expectation of a payoff. This is purity. I do it simply because I've been asked to do it. So this is ashram. This is what it means to be in an ashram. To live in an ashram and expect some kind of payoff, this is not very good. Not good for a brahmachari, not good for a married man, not good for a Vanaprasti, and not good for a sannyasi. If a sannyasi is thinking, when's the payoff? When do I get the pride and prestige, the fame? You know, when do I get the mercy? He may not get it. So he has to be very careful. To do everything without an expectation of reward. This is a true vrata, and if you do this true vrata, this true yagya, then you'll be living in a true ashram, and at the end of your life, you'll go back to home, uh, back to Godhead. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.